Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and I'm very proud to have another lecture here for you this evening to share with you the latest information on technology, vision, and things that you could do to help you to perform those daily tasks more comfortably. Tonight, we're very, very fortunate to have Dr. Kent Small here to speak with us. Dr. Small, he's a graduate of Duke University where he performed a fellowship in the area of vitreal retinal surgery. He was also the past director at the retina division of the UCLA Jewelstein Eye Institute, and he has also founded a research organization called Molecular Insight. Presently, uh, Dr. Small, he is in private practice in Los Angeles and in Glendale, California, and he has authored numerous papers. He was actually one of the lead investigators on some of the best types of treatments that we now have for people with macular degeneration. So uh, this evening, Dr. Small is going to talk about 10 things that you can do to maximize and preserve the health of your retinas. So welcome, Dr. Small. Oh, thank you, Bill. I uh, really appreciate the uh, opportunity to to spend this afternoon, this evening, I guess with many of you on the East Coast, and really appreciate you all taking the time out to uh, to uh, go over this material. Yeah, what I was prepared to do was go over basically in, in detail somewhat the information and material that I tell my patients with age-related macular degeneration, the things that uh, they can do to modify their risks for, for progression and worsening of their macular degeneration. As you all know, the macular degeneration is the leading cause of blindness in the U.S. and in most developed countries. And the incidence of this is expected to double by the year 2020 just because of the population aging more and our cardiologists are keeping doing a better job keeping our tickers going. And then we've got the baby boomers that will be entering the high-risk age groups uh, pretty soon. And as you know, there are there are modifiable risk factors and non-modifiable risk factors. Uh, we're going to spend uh, this time talking about modifiable risk factors. So I'm going to review the, the things that I go over with my patients, and this will probably be a review for a lot of folks, but it's always good to hear it again, perhaps from a little different slant or a little bit different perspective. The, the ten things in brief, uh, and then we'll go over them in some detail, check an Amsler grit every day. Take the antioxidant, vitamin, zinc, lutein, um, and such. Spinach, and most, most all of this is either from the AREDS trial from NIH or from a couple of other uh, studies that have been well performed with large study groups followed over large periods of time. So check an Amsler grid, vitamins, spinach, fish, baby aspirin, no smoking, control weight, control cholesterol, fish oil capsules, and sunglasses. So first, for the Amsler grid, I, I do instruct my patients on, on how to check the Amsler grid. I tell them to hold it at reading distance, cover one eye at a time, use whatever they normally use to read, whether it's their bifocal segment or reading glasses, and uh, to stare at the dot in the center of the page. And if they notice a change from before, and I emphasize the issue change, because invariably you show these Amsler grids to patients, and I'll go, oh, yes, over here it's bad, over here there's a blind spot, over here there's distortion. And the real issue is change. And I tell them, unlike what Obama says, change is bad on an Amsler <laughs> grid. Change can mean uh, the development of wet macular degeneration. And I tell them that 
that is what we're trying to detect early on because we have good treatments for wet macular degeneration now. So any change in the Amsler grid, dry macular degeneration can, of course, cause some metamorphopsia, some distortion in the vision as well, but it's usually very, very uh, subtle and isn't uh, kind of... It's just very much more subtle, whereas wet macular degeneration can cause a much more sudden change in, in the Amsler grid and in metamorphopsia. I also tell patients that this check of the Amsler grid should not take more than five seconds per eye, because some of them, as you know, they'll get into this routine of kind of scanning all over the page, and that really is defeating the purpose. You don't want them to scan. You want them to fixate on that one spot. Uh, the dot in the center, and notice whether there's any change in the rest of the grid. And with people with uh, scotomas and impaired vision, this is, of course, a problem. Now, anybody with worse than 2200 vision, the Amsler grid is, is probably not all that helpful, in which case then I tell them to develop a habit of looking at the tiles in their kitchen or bathroom or the Venetian blind um, or something that's that's consistent that they can look at every day from the same distance and under the same conditions. Uh, the Amsler grid by itself is actually, while I tell all my patients to use their Amsler grid and check their Amsler grid, it's not nearly as sensitive as, as we'd like. Uh, there's some studies that show it only, it only detects, you know, 20 to 30 percent of new onset of wet macular degeneration, which is, which is woefully inadequate. <clears throat> there's a couple of new devices out which are which have a much greater sensitivity. Of course, they're uh, machines and they cost quite a bit of money. And uh, the companies are trying to develop these things for patients to use at home. Right now, they're just an in-office uh, test. So, number one, check the Amsler grid daily. The other thing, occasionally, I find patients where a previous doctor has told them to check their Amsler grid once a week or once a month. Um, and the problem that I find with that is uh, they forget. A lot of these patients are elderly and also have some memory problems going on as well, and they just don't remember what they really saw or didn't see, you know, the week before or the month before, or they, worse yet, they forget to check it last week and last month, and then one month delay grows into three months. Next thing you know, they're checking it once a year. So I do tell them to check it every day uh, in a little five-second check, one eye at a time. Would you um, explain to some of the listeners uh, what what does the Amsler grid look like? Well, uh, it's, it's it's basically a piece of graph paper with a dot in the center, and it subtends about the the central uh, about twenty degrees of the macula, and so it's it's you know it reasonably represents the macular function. Um, again, although it's you know it's very subjective. Um, and then they have you know they have Amsler grids that's black on white and white on black. Uh, I haven't seen any studies that shows that one is superior to the other. I just tell patients to uh, use whichever one that they think uh, they can track the best. That's my, my stick on Amsler grid. The next issue that I, I usually bring up is the vitamins. Now, the vitamins, and these, I, I pretty well stick to the standard AREDS vitamins, which is basically vitamin C, 500 milligrams a day, vitamin E, 400 international units a day, beta-carotene, 15 milligrams a day, zinc oxide, 80 milligrams a day. And then the lutein, there's uh, some studies going on trying to determine the best dose. So far, the, from the AREDS uh, trial, it looks like it's somewhere between 6 to 20 milligrams a day. Uh, and that's from the AREDS trial. There's also been a recent, uh, well, it came out about a year ago, a study called WAFAX, uh, Women Atherosclerotic, 
disease uh, thing, and they were looking at folic acid B6 and B12 and trying to uh, see if that would help prevent stroke and heart attack in high-risk women. And while it did not help prevent stroke and heart attack, it looks like it had some protective effects for development of macular degeneration. And so in the Wafax trial, what was used was folic acid, 2.5 milligrams a day, B6, 50 milligrams a day, and B12, 1 milligram a day. Um, so again, I, the, the standard AREDs are the vitamin C, E, beta-carotene, and zinc, and lutein is part of AREDs too. So I, I really try to stick to these. As you know, there's all kinds of other vitamins out there on the market with uh, everything in the kitchen sink thrown in, none of which have been studied significantly, and there's really no data on it. We have data on these A-red vitamins, uh, and good data, good long-term data, and we also have good data for safety on these things. Um, if Once you start wandering away from the A-red's um, regimen, you're, you're kind of shooting from the hip. Uh, there's the, the data out there on these other uh, supplements, selenium and, and bilberry and all these other things. Uh, there really is not enough data out there to, to support, in my opinion, putting patients on it. And besides, once you get these, the A-red's vitamins packed into a vitamin, it's a pretty, pretty big pill to swallow, quite literally. Um, and there's some issues and problems with that, too. You know, as you know, the, the original vitamin that was used in the original AREDS trial was Bosch and Lohm's um, Occuvite Preservision, and the original one was four tablets a day. Um, Bosch and Lohm has that down to two gel-coated tablets a day now. Uh, of course, one of them has lutein in it but no beta-carotene, and the other one has beta-carotene but no lutein, and, and that always kind of confuses patients. And in the ICAPs and other, there are other products out there that are AREDs, uh, that are AREDs formula vitamins, but they have so many other iterations out on the market that I find it very confusing for patients. I, I actually recommend that my patients use uh, the cheapest one that I've found is, is online and mail order from South Dakota called Vitize. I have no financial interest in this company at all, uh, other than, um, you know, I think they, they provide the best uh, and cheapest thing out there for my patients. And they're, rel- they're relatively easy to work with. Patients call them up, give them their credit card number, and then basically the vitamins show up on their doorstep every three months, and it's, I think it's like $39 for a three-month supply of this stuff, which is uh, usually beats uh, the, other, the other name brands that are on the shelves in the, uh, in the, in the pharmacies and such. The issue about beta-carotene and not having beta-carotene gets into the smoking issue. As, as you know, uh, the uh, beta-carotene supplementation in now uh, three different trials, most two of them from the VA hospitals, show that beta-carotene supplementation may actually increase the risk for lung cancer in smoking men. This study has not been replicated in women, but uh, there's a concern there as well. And so for that reason, there is the smoker's formula of A-Red's vitamin, which has no beta-carotene in it. Out here in California, it's it's wonderful that you see smokers less and less because smoking is on my list of of things not to do, which we'll get to in a little bit, but smoking increases the risk for macular degeneration by by like 400%. It's just awful what smoking does to the eye as well as to other parts of the body. So you, there are vitamins out there that don't have the beta-carotene in it for the smokers or, or the ones that are recently quit smokers. And recently, well, 
one estimate, and nobody really has good data on this, is that if a pa patient has not smoked for five years, they can probably go on the standard AREDS uh, vitamin supplement that does have beta-carotene in it. We talked a little bit about uh, lutein, and the, uh, the Vitize, uh, the one that I usually tell my patients about, it has lutein in it. So it has CE, beta-carotene, zinc, and lutein, and it's all in just two tablets, uh, you know, one at breakfast and one at dinner. Uh, so it, it, it's still a fairly good-sized tablet. They also have a form that's a powder so they can mix it in their their orange juice or something else if they can't swallow these big old horse tablets because these tablets are, are fairly fairly generous in size. And there are some patients who just, just it upsets their stomach, but that's fairly rare. And then the rest of the vitamins, the folic acid, B6, and B12, you basically have to go out to a, um, your pharmacy and buy those separately and individually. And those are fairly high dosages as well, I might add. Again, interestingly, and there was a really good talk I heard last night by Dr. Stephen Bent at UCSF, who uh, has done a lot of research into uh, vitamins and herbs and such. And he went through all the data on, on basically vitamins and some other things on uh, preventing heart attack and stroke and extending life. And almost all these things that we've mentioned, CE, beta-carotene, you know, zinc, lutein, folic acid, B6, and B12, all of them have been studied for looking for ways of helping to prevent heart disease and stroke and death, premature death. And none of them have been shown to be of any value at all in extending one's life. So uh, don't fool yourself by thinking you're, you're helping a patient live longer by taking these vitamins. It's purely for their eyes and purely from uh, eye studies that have shown them to be of value. Number three on my list was spinach. Now, spinach is, is actually kind of the beginning. This was a study done by Joanna Seddon at uh, Harvard probably about 20 years ago now, and it was a dietary survey study. Basically, what she found was that, that uh, patients who were habitually and normally eating lots of dark green leafy vegetables uh, had less macular degeneration than uh, the, the beef eaters, so to speak, and uh, when they got macular degeneration, it was less severe. And they rank ordered them. And number one was spinach. Number two was collard greens. Now, for those of you who I grew up in the South, for those of you who haven't grown up in the South, collard greens are tough, in my opinion. Um, and the only way they taste good is if you put enough butter and salt on them that, that you plug up your coronary arteries. So, uh, not very many people out here in California even have heard of collard greens. Uh, they're kind of akin to turnip green. Another one was kale. Carrots was way down on the list, which uh, kind of contradicts what our mothers taught us. Hmm. And uh, anyway, it, so they went back and said, well, what's so special about spinach and collard greens? And they ground it up, and that's when they found lutein. Spinach and collard greens is chock full of lutein. And that's when the vitamin company said, well, this must be good for the eyes. Let's pack it into some vitamins and start selling it, marketing it. And that was done way before there was there been any studies showing lutein to be of any any uh, clinical benefit. Although we do know that uh, carotenoid pigments such as lutein and zeaxanthine are concentrated in the macula, and by eating lots of dark green leafy vegetables and taking these vitamin supplements, you can actually increase your your carotenoid levels in the fovea, which seems like it should be of some ultimate benefit. Although that's yet to be fully demonstrated. Now, number four on the list was eat fish, and this is fish twice a, twice a week. Uh, and this is, again, according to the AREDS trial. Now, the AREDS trial was 6,000 people that have been monitored for about 15 years, 
and it was primarily to look at the antioxidant vitamins and to see if they had a role in, in slowing uh, the progression of macular degeneration. And along the way, they captured all kinds of other data on these 6,000 people. And it, periodically, somebody will go back and mine that very rich database and find other stuff. And one of them they found was, was the fish twice a week. And it's presumed that it's from the uh, omega-3 fatty acids, which are beneficial. And um, particularly, uh, periodically, you get asked by patients, well, what kind of fish? And it's basically the oily fish that you want, with salmon's way up there, herring, sardines, those kinds of things. Of, of the oily fish on the list, uh, salmon's, salmon's certainly my, my favorite. Uh, so I tell people to eat fish at least twice a week. Number five on the list is take a baby aspirin daily. And this has become a little bit controversial. There's always been the presumption that, I mean, you know, aspirin is an anticoagulant of sorts. It's an antiplatelet. And that if you started to develop wet macular degeneration and started to bleed, that aspirin would probably make that worse. Well, that didn't really play out in the AREDS data. And the AREDS data actually suggests that, that a baby aspirin, 81 milligrams a day, helps helps uh, to uh, slow the progression of macular degeneration. We don't really know why. When the AREDS data came out, the anti-inflammatory uh, complement pathways and such uh, had not really been uh, discovered as have, playing a role in macular degeneration, but perhaps aspirin acts as an anti-inflammatory in altering the, the, uh, the inflammatory pathways in the retina somehow. There has been a recent study out showing that anticoagulation in general, but we're talking like Plavix and, and Coumadin, the really serious anticoagulants, uh, may in fact worsen wet, at least wet macular degeneration. Uh, but that's a brand, that was a fairly new study that came out. Um, number six is do not smoke, and if you smoke, you need to stop smoking. Uh, like I said, almost every epidemiological study ever done on macular degeneration shows that smoking is just terrible. Uh, for making, mac making macular degeneration worse. Number seven is uh, maintain ideal body. I try to put things in positive terms for patients. Instead of uh, lose weight, well, lose weight's a positive thing. Or don't overeat is not particularly positive, but basically maintain an ideal body weight, body mass index. The AREDS data showed that uh, folks with uh, a high body mass index, i.e. obese, uh, increases their risk for macular degeneration and advanced macular degeneration. So you want to maintain ideal body weight. Another thing that came out of the AREDS data was uh, statin drugs uh, that lower cholesterol seem to be beneficial in patients with macular degeneration. Again, we're not really sure about the mechanism. This is epidemiological data. that does, It's hard to prove a cause and effect relationship, but there was a positive effect of people on statin drugs having less severe macular degeneration. Whether patients, and I periodically get to ask this, if a patient has a normal cholesterol, should they be placed on a statin drug? And statin drugs do have some side effects and issues, and I, I generally do not recommend that. If their cholesterol is borderline, I do encourage them to go back and talk to their internist and see whether they would uh, like to put them on a statin drug. Uh, but I don't think I don't think it's my role to put them on a statin drug just for their macular degeneration alone. Number nine on my list is take fish oil capsules, omega-3 fatty acids. There's more data coming out that suggests that the omega-3 fatty acids are beneficial. 
Um, and there actually is some data that suggests that omega-3 fatty acids may help prevent heart attack and stroke and extend life a little bit anyway. And I, I tell patients to take the, the fish oil capsules in addition to eating the fish twice twice a week, although the amount of omega-3 fatty acids they get in the capsule probably dwarfs that which they get in the fish twice a week. I do have some patients who don't like fish oil capsules. They don't like the taste, et cetera. And for those, I recommend that they try flaxseed oil instead. There are several several good sources of flaxseed oil at a lot of, uh, a lot of the pharmaceuticals now. And then last but not least, uh, sun protection. The data on, in the AREDS trial, the data on, uh, the and it's obviously very difficult to quantitate uh, how much sun exposure one's macula has uh, been exposed to throughout their life. The AREDS, and because of that, the AREDS data did not really show that wearing sunglasses was of any particular benefit. But theoretically, it, it does make some sense to uh, to wear dark glasses anytime when you're out in bright sunlight. So those are the those are the major things that I tell patients that they can proactively do to help manage their macular degeneration. I, I try to be very careful to not mislead them and let them know that this will slow the progression. You know, the AREDS trial uh, with the antioxidant vitamins uh, and zinc alone showed that it slows the progression by 25%, which is huge. Adding these other things on top of it, I suspect we're probably up to 30 to 35% uh, for slowing the progression. It does not reverse it in any way, shape, or form. Um, I've never seen it reverse it. I occasionally have patients come in, you know, after six months, swearing that the vitamins have made their vision better, and, you know, I check everything and measure everything, and I don't see any improvement, but, uh, you know, the placebo effect is, is strong. So, uh, you know, I let them live with it and let them enjoy it. Well, the other big things, of course, for them is, you know, they need to get in. Anybody with any macular degeneration should probably be checked at least every six months with a good dilated fundus exam. OCT is, uh, you know, the new instrumentation that is uh, wonderful for helping uh, us uh, document even very subtle uh, forms of dry and wet macular degeneration. Autofluorescent imaging is another new technology, relatively new technology that also shows the damage to the pigment epithelium and hyperfluorescence in the areas where uh, we think that the pigment epithelium is going to die next, where it's going to advance to. And enforcing angiography is, of course, the old-fashioned gold standard for demonstrating the extent of the pigment epithelial damage as well as any onset of choroidal neovascularization or wet macular degeneration. So patients need to be checked, uh, and they, you know, they'll come in and say that their Amsler grid has looked the same for the last six months or year, and they're, you know, they're going to stop doing it. They're going to stop coming in to see you because nothing's changed, and that they need to reinforce with them. That's good. No change is good in this disease. There's a lot of new drugs in the pipeline that we're looking at for dry and wet macular degeneration. The ones for dry are, are very interesting in that they work, they're working through new and different mechanisms, mostly from what we've learned through genetic studies of macular degeneration. Back up a little bit, the family history and the genetics of macular degeneration is now thought to contribute to about 60 to 70% of the phenotype of the disease, which is fairly substantial. And because of that, anybody that has a fan, well, basically all my patients that have macular degeneration, I instruct them that they should probably be doing the same regimen, these 10 points, for their children. Their children are at an increased risk for developing macular degeneration as well. And I, I consider them to be moderately high risk later in life. And so 
these this regimen hopefully will help prevent that. Now, to do a study to document and prove that is it will be a huge, expensive undertaking that will go on for 10 or 20 years, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. But there is some epidemiological data that's come out of the Blue Mountain study in Australia that does suggest that some of these things may actually help prevent uh, macular degeneration in the at-risk population. Back to the genetics of macular degeneration, there are some companies that will commercially uh, check for certain polymorphisms and slash mutations in, in several of the genes that have been found to impart risk in developing macular degeneration. And so from that, you can, you can dissect out the children, particularly uh, the ones that uh, will be at the greatest risk and will need the closest surveillance. That, that's kind of the, the ballpark of things. Um, yeah, well, you want to let's open go ahead. up for some questions and discuss? Yeah, let's go ahead, everybody, and unmute your phone with a star six, and we'll open it up to questions. Uh, Dr. Small, I have a question. One of the things that has been controversial in the field of, of low vision rehabilitation is how damaging is blue light. We see that there are light bulbs that are full spectrum, and then there's also have been studies that show that the blue wavelengths of the of the light are very dangerous. So maybe people with retinal disease should not use these uh, full spectrum lights. Is, is there any kind of clinical data that's come out recently on this? There was that, well, there, this, this issue has also come up in, in uh, what kind of lens implants to put in, because some of the lens implants block UV and blue light better than others. And there was a very nice editorial written just last month that reviewed this. And basically, the upshot, this, this guy, um, oh, I'm blocking on his name, he's in Kansas. And he's worked with this, this subject for a long time. But basically what he showed was uh, it's much better for patients to get the full spectrum of bright light to function the best than it is to have blue blockers. And that the damage, it's all theoretical damage from the blue. It, basically he made the, a very compelling point that you should just use you know, the brightest, best light you can to, to function and see. And don't worry about the blue light issue so much. Okay, thank you. Are there any other questions for uh, Dr. Small? I have one question on spinach. Yes. How much spinach every day? Yeah, that, I get asked that one. And, you know, so I didn't. I didn't say. <laughs> and the the reason I didn't say is because the original study didn't ask. <laughs> so the the short answer is we don't know. You know, I tell patients I, I just mix it in with my salad and uh, pour enough salad dressing on it that, that I can stomach it after a while. <laughs> I'm not a big veggie fan in general, um, I, although I like fish a lot. But, yeah, yeah I have to kind of choke down the spinach myself personally. And um, uh, so the study never really said how much, which is interesting. Because one of the things, you know, I, I try to do every day is a spinach because because of my macular degeneration. But uh, you know, I, I you know just take a, a handful, you know, a good handful, yeah. and then I just kind of chew on it while I'm watching the evening news or something like that. But I've often wondered how much is enough. Yeah, the, the short answer is we don't know. Okay. Um, I just, I you know, the, the, to eat enough spinach to get six milligrams of lutein, though, is like a is like a you know a couple of gallons of it. Yeah, right. Um, so either way, you're probably let me put this. You know, I mean, I have some patients who just refuse to eat spinach, 
And then there are also the patients on Coumadin, where spinach has some vitamin K in it that interferes with the Coumadin, and so they can't really eat spinach, and they kind of worry about this whole thing. And I, I would maintain that if you had to pick eating spinach versus taking lutein, you're probably far better off taking the lutein than you are eating the spinach. Well, the lutein, I, I take Vidize. Is that enough lutein in that to yeah, well, it's six overcome milligrams. the spinach? Yeah, it's six milligrams. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that dwarfs the amount that they get in spinach. You know, the, the AREDS-2 trial is up to 20 milligrams of lutein. So, I mean, you could afford to, to supplement the lutein a little more, up to 20 milligrams. So how, how did you find out about Vidize? That's the company that I, I uh, through Through my ophthalmologist. Yeah. Yeah, that's the company I usually recommend just because it's kind of it's the cheapest and easiest thing out there that I found. Yeah, it's it's, it's very good. They also have the very good omega three. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, when I have vitamins, I take my two pills a day like a good girl, so I can quit my spinach. Is that what I heard? Uh, I, I I can't I can't officially say that. Okay. <laughs> I'll stay with my spinach, yeah, but, uh, but you know the, the question, you know, how much spinach? Yeah, yeah. like I, I, I mix like a, you know, a small handful in with my salad at night, and that's that's yeah. that's my quotient, you know. Okay. Yes, this is Janelle Grissom in Reno, Nevada. I uh, was wondering if some of these things or all of them um, are a good regimen to follow for other eye diseases as well. Oh, that's a good question. That's a real good question. Because certainly, for, I mean, the other, the other, what, um, you mean like retinitis pigmentosa and... Well, I was uh, originally diagnosed 10 years ago with Graves' eye disease. I have several other problems, but uh, when I researched that, one of the big things was that it, it said in several places, do not smoke or do not be around smoke at all. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I was wondering if some of these other things would be beneficial as well. Well, well I, w I, would, I would hope so. For Graves, you know, the, uh, Graves usually doesn't affect the retina. So I wouldn't imagine that this would have any particular effect on gra Graves as far as the eye is concerned per se. You know, the, the other question that I get asked is I have oh, quite a few patients with Stargardt's or juvenile macular degeneration. And in that disease, uh, one theory is that the pigment epithelial cells die because they're not properly processing the vitamin A. And, and so they get kind of chock full of APOE2 and uh, some other byproducts of, of, of the RPE digesting uh, vitamin A. And so one, several drugs are in the pipeline for Stargardt's. And all, almost all of them slow the vitamin A cycle in the RPE and the outer segment of the photoreceptors. And so given that, most of us that deal with Stargardt's patients suggest, because there's no real good data, suggest that uh, Stargardt's patients probably should, have, should not take supplemental uh, beta carotene or vitamin A, because in theory it may actually hasten, hasten the disease progression. What is uh, is cystic macular edema anything like macular degeneration? I mean, does it is it similar in any way? Uh, cystoid cystoid true typical cystoid macular edema is is not related to macular degeneration. Now, when macular degeneration turns wet, you have leaky blood vessels, and sometimes that can give the appearance of cystoid macular edema, and that it can cause some you know some fluid to build up in the retina. But your typical cystoid macular edema, like after cataract surgery, 
or in diabetic retinopathy, you know, I mean, no, it's not related to macular degeneration. Well, that's an interesting thing. There's actually one study out that shows that the AREDS vitamin regimen may be beneficial in diabetic retinopathy. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's somewhat of a preliminary study. But, yeah, no, cystoid macular edema generally is, a, is an inflammatory issue in the retinal macula. We usually treat it with either uh, topical steroids and non-steroidal agents or sometimes intravitreal injections of uh, avastin and steroids or non-steroidals too, like diclofenac. Or Kenalog, what they they used to use Kenalog. Oh yeah, yeah, I still, yeah. I, yeah, I still use a fair amount of Kenalog. Yeah. I I had a Kenalog injection in my right eye and it backfired. It oh. just didn't. It, it did the opposite of what it was supposed to do. So really, yeah. Huh. And this is in Graves. Yeah, I've got Graves. I've had diabetic retinopathy, but that's been stable for almost three years now. I've got the cystic macular edema. Oh, you but know. your cystoid your cystoid macular edema is, I would suspect it's probably it's not related to the diabetes. Uh, it, I'm not sure whether it is. It, oh. I've had the diabetic retinopathy, and that's under control. And the uh, uh, cystic macular edema, I'm told, is is going down quite a bit. So, um, when, when did you have the Kinelog injection? Six years ago. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, the so, next time you're you're down in LA from Reno, you just have to Doctor Small check you out and solve <laughs> okay. these problems now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, there, it, oh, in Reno. Yeah, I don't know any. Of the, I don't know the rest of the guys up in Reno. I go to Doctor Stephen Friedlander, who's okay. with Nevada uh, Retinal Associates. Okay. So. Okay. Let's see. Does anybody else have a problem out there? Uh, Tom Lalo's uh, Wyoming. I had my phone muted. I'm sorry, Bill. Okay, yeah. I was wondering if you had a question uh, about, you know, I know the uveitis is an issue that sometimes has uh, some real consequences. Well, I I didn't want to ask him about uveitis because it's not like macular degeneration, but <laughs> is uveitis uh, on the scope with any of these ten issues, Dr. Small? Not that I have seen any studies on that, uh, no. Is it, no is the short answer. The, the longer answer is, you know, none of these things are particularly deleterious and have bad side effects. And they're, they're all kind of generally healthy living ideas and things that, you know, are not a bad idea to do anyway. But I'm not aware of any of this being of any particular value in uveitis. Yeah, because it's more of an in, inflammatory type disease, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that, that's my only question. I've got a lot of folks in my low vision support group that have macular degeneration, both the dry and the wet. Yeah. And so, in fact, some of them were on here tonight to listen to what you had to say. So that was good. So I'm just, I'm just listening for good background information. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are there any other questions for Dr. Small? Uh, this is Francie from Cody, Wyoming. Uh, I noticed you didn't include regular exercise like walking, and I seem to remember reading that that was also something that was recommended. Well, it's it, it, uh, not in the AREDS trial, but I'm not sure okay. that they. I'm not sure that they were. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that was one of the data points they were collecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the the theory was that it helps oxygenate the eye. You know. Yeah. No. No. No, but in general, that's not a bad idea, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, it's the exercise is always good, and it always, you know, exercise also helps you keep your weight down, which is, which you know, keeping keeping your weight down, whether it's through exercise and or diet, usually it's a combination, is always a good. Mm-hmm. Thing. 
but I'm not aware of any any studies showing that that exercise per se is particularly beneficial to macular degeneration. Okay, that was my question. Thank you. Great. Let's see. I think I just heard. Is that Alexa who just uh, tuned in? Do you have a question for Doctor Small? And Doctor Doctor Small, please spell white eyes and tell us what A reds is. Um. Yeah, AREDS is uh, the, it's an acronym for a study at NIH at the National Eye Institute. It stands for Age-Related Eye Disease Study. And there was AREDS 1, and now there's AREDS 2 going on, um, looking more specifically at, at lutein, zeaxanthin, and omega-3 fatty acids. And it was a, it was a very you know, large, well-run, well-executed uh, trial that uh, you know, your taxpayer dollars paid for. And uh, yeah, I tell my patients that so they at least feel good about something when they pay their taxes. You know, it was a huge trial. It was a very expensive trial, and it was, uh, you know, very well done. And, it's, and the data keeps coming out of it. So a, the AREDS trial is um, it's huge. You know, and that's where almost, you know, 90% of what I'm talking about tonight is basically AREDS trial data. What was the other? Vidize. Oh, oh Vidize. Yeah, Vidize is... Um, they're a company up in – I don't like really endorsing specific companies too much, nor do I like to particularly bash other companies very much. But it's a, it's a, a company that makes a vitamin up in South Dakota, and I'm looking for my little brochure on it right now. I can give you their phone number if you want. Uh, V-I-T-E-Y-E-S. V-I-T-E-Y-E-S, okay. Yeah, and their phone number is uh, 800 890 Eyes, three nine three seven. Thank you. And it's just uh, you know I I just like it because it's it's relatively inexpensive compared to the rest, and uh, and it's two tablets and it's got lutein in it as well as the beta carotene, uh, so it's kind of a whole a red deal in, in one package. <clears throat> so I like that. So it's easier and cheaper for patients, and they kind of if you kind of keep track of you and. You know, send you a new a new box of uh, vitamins every three months. The only thing I I don't like about them, uh, I've had some patients complain about. You know, the the AREDS formula vitamins alone are forty dollars for three months, which is cheaper than anything else I've heard out there. If anybody hears anything cheaper, let me know. I'm game for using the cheapest thing that does the job. But the, some of the patients will then uh, come back with. Um, Four or five other things that they're selling, and um, you know, and then their their bill winds up being you know a couple of hundred dollars instead of forty dollars, and that that kind of annoys me. But uh, the, the actual product for the AREDS formula, I like. Doctor Small, um, with patients who are taking these types of uh, vitamins, and that include zinc, is there any concern as to the effect of zinc on memory? If an older adult has memory problems already, is that a concern that there would include zinc? Um, I have not heard that that is an issue with this. Um, I know over the years, uh, Alzheimer's specifically has been kind of linked to all kinds of things, as, as has prostate problems. But the, um, yeah, I mean, all kinds of heavy metal things and aluminum and all that sort of thing have also been periodically linked and then later debunked as being associated or a cause or accelerates Alzheimer's. So I've not heard that zinc has, uh, I've not heard any consistent data that zinc uh, will contribute to memory problems. 
Great, thank you. Does anybody else have any questions for Dr. Small on anything to keep your eyes healthy or anything related to the retina? Hi, um, hi this is Alexa. Um, you know, I, I just tuned in and you mentioned about uh, vitamins uh, for to keep the eyes healthy. I was taking lutein. Um, you know, I can't remember the brand, but I, you know, I got it from uh, one of my health food stores that specializes in uh, vitamins. And, um, you know, I'm always skeptical about vitamins, uh, whether it's for eyes or whatever, but being that we're talking about eyes, um, is there something that you probably already mentioned, but as I mentioned, I just tuned in, but is there something that if I went to, um, again, to my vitamin uh, health food store that I, that I should look for, um, obviously, lutein is the biggest um, factor in uh, nutrition, healthy nutrition for the eyes. Should I just take pure lutein, or if I took something that has lutein and other things that's um, um, mixed with other other things that would help for the eyes too? Yeah. Well, that's why. Uh, did you hear this part about the vite eyes that we were talking about? Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I mean, that's basically that, that's why I like it. It has lutein. In addition, it has uh, vitamin C, E, beta carotene, and zinc, and it has it in in dosages that have been very thoroughly studied at the NIH uh, that we know are safe and have very few side effects and and such. So that's that's why I like the vite eyes option to go out and buy all these different vitamins in these quantities has got you know it have to be more expensive than vitamins. Well, you know, I noticed that you know when I take these the the vitamin lutein or whatever, and I was taking it for a few months. I mean, I don't know if I'm supposed to know any difference or you know in terms of results or whatever. Um, you know, I know that yes, I'm taking lutein, but then you never know really what the quality of what is in the vitamin the vitamin. No, no, that's, that's actually a very good point. Um, and this this uh, doctor that I was listening to last night on UCTV from UCSF, uh, Stephen Bent, B-E-N-T, who's done a lot of research on the on vitamins and and um, herbs and nutraceuticals and all that stuff. Um, you know, the the vitamin industry. It, well, let, let me back up. I guess prior to the AREDS trial. I thought taking vitamins for macular degeneration was like, uh, you know, peeing in the ocean and expecting it to turn yellow. I just, you know, I didn't think it would, I didn't think it would do anything, you know, and I figured people were just throwing their money away. And mm-hmm. my wife's a dietitian, and, you know, and she she's always told me if you want, you know, if you want to take, if you want to have expensive urine, take expensive vitamins because that's where it all goes, you know, just flush mm-hmm. it right through your kidneys, most of it. So I was, I was very, very skeptical. Uh, about vitamins, and then the AREDS trial came out, and it was pretty. It's it's uh, very compelling. It's uh, you know it's statistically significant, a r- really well organized, well run, randomized, prospective controlled trial. So you can't. You know, I mean, it's the best quality of scientific data that we have, clinical data that we have have available. Period. So you know, given that, you know that this is this is the regimen. Um, now, which vitamin? You know, I mean, the, the actual vitamin used in the trial was from Bosch and Loam, Occuvite Preservision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, one could make the case that perhaps the quality of their vitamins different than somebody else's, and, and that very well could be true. We don't know, and uh, the FDA does not apparently have a whole lot of 
sway or, or even supervision over the vitamin industry. And so that's why, you know, these vitamin companies can make all kinds of pretty sometimes outrageous claims, you know, make you thinner, younger, sexier, you know, et cetera, et cetera, make the wrinkles go away, cures what ails you. They can make these claims without any real data, and in part because the FDA has, has classified it as an area that they're not, you know, it doesn't do any harm 99% of the time, so they don't, they're not really interested. The FDA is interested in protecting the American public. That's their view. So, yeah, I mean, the quality of the vitamins is something that is not well documented. There's no particular agency uh, that oversees it very well. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's, it's a concern. It's an issue. Now, this guy last night that I was mentioning, Dr. Bent, uh, on UCTV, he, this issue was brought up with him as well about the quality of vitamins, and he, he basically says the same thing. It's a very very poorly regulated industry, and there probably is some, some um, you know, uh, fluctuation in, in what's really in some of these vitamins. But this is the best data that we have, and this is, you know, this is what we're stuck with at the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Can we take one more question before we end the show this evening? Does anybody else have a question for Dr. Small? Um, from Vermont. If you don't have any macular degeneration, is there any advantage of taking Vitize or, or any other type of supplement? I have, yeah, that, uh, op, at, I have optic atrophy, so just a yeah. bad nerve. Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. If, if you stick just to the AREDS data, Basically, they found that people with very mild macular degeneration or no macular degeneration over a 10-year period, it was no different than taking a placebo. So if you want to be a purist about it, the answer would be, you know, it's not going to do anything. However, most of us are interested in more than, we're interested in being around for more than 10 years, and so we don't have 20-year data. Maybe it would be significant at 20 years. We don't know. And then there's some data that's come out of the Blue Mountain study in Australia that actually suggests that these things, without having, without doing a 20-year study, there are some surrogate markers that they were looking at that suggest that taking these things may help prevent macular degeneration. So I, I think it's not a bad thing to do. And then the, the Wayfax study from Harvard reasonably well showed that uh, folic acid B6 and B12 um, at least in women, uh, helps to prevent macular degeneration. So it's one of those things, and, you know, the, the AREDS trial again showed that these vitamins are relatively safe. You know, when you're taking this, this dosage of beta-carotene, it you know, makes the palm of your hands turn a little, little yellow-brown, you know, a little yellow-orangish like a carrot. And they have a slightly higher incidence of urinary tract infections, which nobody ever quite figured out why that was. But other than that, you know, it's, it's a safe regimen. So, you know, other than $40 for three months comes out to a little over a dollar a day or, I mean, what, or it's cheap. You know, I, th- I think it's reasonable to do. Well, this has been um, very, very helpful, Dr. Small. We appreciate that. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, can you share some contact information if people have other questions or oh, they sure. want to schedule an appointment? Well, the, the, the office phone number is uh, 310-659-2200. The email is Kent Small, K E N T S M A L L, nine zero zero seven seven at yahoo dot com. Kent Small nine zero zero seven seven at yahoo dot com. At yahoo dot com. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Well, you know what we. Really, really appreciated that, and I hope all of you enjoyed this lecture this evening. And please turn in next month 
when we bring you another lecture about low vision. So thank you, everybody, and this podcast will be available for listening on the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International website at www.cclvi.org, and it will also be available on AIRS LA, and that's www.airsla.org. Thank you very much, everybody, and good night.